You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Uh. To another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. Angie, we're uh, we're on the heels of a 42-9 victory over Colorado for the Oregon State football team, pushing the Beavers to six wins on October 22nd, making the Beavers Bowl eligible for the first time, uh, or sorry, for in the month of October, for just the fourth time in program history. So the Beavers are doing borderline unprecedented things right now in this 2022 season. So I got to ask, are you, are you polishing your bowling ball? Do you have your bowling shoes out? You know, are you ready, you ready to, to hit the lanes? Let's, let's do it. We're just, uh, we have our fingers crossed that we are not heading to El Paso and at the end of December, but we will, uh, we'll take, we'll take whatever the, the bowl season committee and, and all of these different bowls give us, but uh, it's exciting to see Oregon State with so many wins to their name at this point in the season. I mean, Andrew, this takes you back to, to 2012, 2013, right? It does. It does. I mean, this this team, and and what, what's not surprising though, Carter, you and I saw this fall camp, spring camp of, of this past year with the defense. And um, even Eric, I remember telling him, I think this defense is like a thousand percent improved. And I don't think he believed me. And then that first game he was watching, he's like, Oh, wow. They, they look good. You and I had talked about that. We saw it in the very first scrimmage this, this fall that the defense completely stymied Oregon State's offense. We also were very high on Damian Martinez, said he was going to have a breakout year. He is, is showing that. So um, all the way around, I, I don't know if that, I mean, I hell, I had the team pegged for 10 and two, so I can't say that I'm surprised by this, but it's still on the table. It is still on the table. It, it is. I, I, I mean, don't know if it'll happen, but it is still on the table. Here we are entering Oregon State's bye week at the end of October, talking about 10 and 2 still being a possibility. I mean, Oregon State's not even mathematically out of the Pac-12 title race. They would need a little bit of help to get there, but I think that just goes to show how impressive of a season Oregon State is, is putting together. The Beavers now are winners of their last three games after dropping those two to the ranked opponents. They enter the bye week at 6 and 2, and three spots outside of the AP Top 25, which was released uh, earlier on Sunday, of course, that's a, a, a weekly thing. Oregon State had uh, showed up at, at as high as 21 on one of the ballots, uh, received 25 votes there. And, and like I said, they're technically ranked 28th right now in the country, which doesn't mean much, but 
you know, the, the optics of, of being in the top 25, you can't discount that. And so for Oregon State to have this opportunity now with an off week to maybe jump into the top 25 and not even play a game, uh, that's, you know, it would it'd be nice to see a, a little 24 or 25 next to that Oregon State on the scoreboard when they head up to Seattle in about a week and a half. Yeah, I, I don't think that'll happen. I mean, I would be shocked if that happened. Just I think so many of the national voters haven't seen Oregon State. Yeah. Um, and it, it takes me back to two games of the schedule of the Pac-12 season that really stand out to me from an Oregon State perspective. The first is the Washington State totally just cooking it against the Ducks. I mean, they had that game that was like, and then the Ducks just scored 21 points in like the span of two minutes. Um, and then Oregon State, USC. Those two right there, I mean, if something, if, if especially if Oregon State had beat USC, Oregon State is in the top 25 right now. Probably, you know, 17. Borderline 18. top 15. Yeah, yeah, borderline top 15. So, um, I mean, you can't sit back and say woulda, coulda, shoulda, but those those two games, to me, when I look at the entire Pac-12 um, season so far, those two games really stand out from a standpoint of how that would have helped Oregon State um, so many levels. If there's a, a team and a program that could still be, quote-unquote, flying under the radar at 6-2, and two, it's Oregon State. And, you know, uh, if, if you keep piling up those wins, I, I know that the, quote-unquote, quality wins aren't necessarily there. You know, you haven't beaten a ranked team yet. Some of the, the tougher opponents on the early part of your schedule haven't played up to expectations. But a, a six and two team should probably be ranked. I, you know, if, if you're in, in a power, power five, five conference, yeah. You know, if you play in the Pac 12, if Oregon State's an SEC team, they're in the top 20. I'll, I'll just say that. But yeah, I think, you know, flying under the radar at six and two is, is very Oregon State. It feels right and it feels like Oregon State. Uh, will surprise some people if it ends up at, at eight, nine, ten wins. But we're looking very big picture there. That's more of a bi-week conversation. We still have a game to recap. Uh, but before we do that, Angie and I are going to talk a little bit more about bull eligibility. Then we'll really dive into Oregon State's 42 to 9 blowout win over Colorado, a, a team that's, you know, that's that's reeling as an interim staff, but um, still impressive nonetheless to to beat a Pac-12 team by 33 points. Talk about what went well, what didn't. Uh, recap some of the injury notes. Uh, Deshaun Fenwick at, at running back notably did not play. We'll update you on that situation. And then, of course, we'll revisit our keys to the game at the very end. Um, but, Angie, speaking of bowl eligibility, because that is still, I, I mean, I feel like it's kind of one of the dominant storylines right now with with any team that reaches six wins. I know that bowl games mean less in the college football playoff era. I know that Oregon State got off of the bowl game schneid last year, but it still feels like somewhat of a landmark for this program. Maybe not necessarily to to get there, but the fashion in which they got there, I, I think is what stands out. Yeah. I mean, here we are early, you know, there's still four games left on the schedule. Um, and, and this is a team that it has been so down. I mean, you, you, I look at Colorado and I feel bad for them because I think as Beavers, um, as covering this team, as Beaver fans, we know exactly what it feels like because we are, Oregon State is only probably five, six years re removed from where they were. So um, you know how tough that climb has been. And so that makes being bowl eligible for the second time um, in two years, I think that much sweeter. Yeah. And I, I go back to my point, Oregon State has only been bowl eligible in the month of October four times. Well, like ever uh you only have to go back to 2013 for the last time they did it actually so you know we're 
you know, a, a decade removed from it, which I guess in hindsight is a little further back than I thought, you know, 2013 still feels like it <laughs> feels like it was just yesterday, but um, I, I looked and I, I tweeted this out a couple of hours before we hit record here. I, I looked at that schedule and I felt like, you know, that, that team trended downwards at the end of the season. And, and I was right. I, I looked back and Oregon state lost its final five games of the regular season after getting bowl eligible on October 17th. So they beat California three weeks into October and then didn't win again until they played in Honolulu and, and beat Boise state. And then I dove even further into it. And I said, wait, these teams that they played at the end of the year, this looks like a very similar schedule. They played university of Washington. They played Arizona state. They played Oregon in, in three of their final five games. Those are three of the final four games for this year's team. Like there are some eerie similarities there, but there's just something about this 2022 team that makes me feel like, they're not going to let up just because they got over that six win. Hump. No. And, and 2013, that was really kind of the downslide um, of, of coach Riley's tenure at Oregon state. It was the start of kind of this. Um, I, I don't want to say he lost the team, but it definitely was a, a, a year that kind of things started slipping away um, as far mm-hmm. as just the locker room, the culture, everything kind of started to change a little bit. It wasn't quite as to- cohesive. I, I think what I'm most impressed about, and we'll, we'll dive into the Colorado game here in a little bit, but I told you off off air, what impresses me more most about this is Oregon State over the years has had a tendency to play down to opponents to maybe sleepwalk through games like this that they are expected to win by double digits, and they didn't do that at all. And I think that speaks volumes not only to the coaching staff, but even more so to the veteran leadership, the Jaden Grants, the Brandon Kippers um, of the locker room. And they kept their foot on the gas, too. I mean, they scored a touchdown in the fourth quarter. Jaden Grant picked off a pass on Colorado's final offensive possession. Uh, we'll dive, again, further into that in just a minute. But, Angie, one of the things that that was on my mind throughout this game and, and into the post-game press conference and as I was writing my game recap, um, I, I don't know if you watched the post-game uh, video, but you know, my, my questions were very direct and, and pointed in, in one direction, and that was – the fact that nobody within this locker room or nobody on the coaching staff even mentioned going to a bowl game as being a goal this year. There was no talk about it throughout the week as a five-win team goes into this game against Colorado about being bowl eligible if you win. I guess the locker room after the game, there was not even a, not even a peep about going bowling. And it just feels so different to last year where after win number six, You've got fans storming the field. You've got Nathan Eldridge bowling his helmet in the locker room. I mean, that was the story of the season. Jonathan Smith came into the media room like two hours after we were done and, and you know, came in and said hi and was in a great mood. And it just felt like business as usual yesterday. We didn't have any of those uh, the, those fireworks or, or anything out of the ordinary. But after Carter, you know, all, all year, their goal hasn't been a bowl game. It's been Pac-12 yeah. title. Right. So, um, so, right. So what I'm getting at is the expectation yes. was that Oregon State would always win six games yeah, and, yeah. and that they would do it early on in the year and, and prime themselves for a big November. So to that end, it's somewhat of mission accomplished, right? Exactly. And I, and I think those of us that are around the team a ton, um, you know, we've been around this team. There was not a, I, I never had a doubt that this team would make a bowl game. Um, I, I didn't know if Pac-12 title would be in the, in the realm, but um, last year, just making the bowl game was huge. Um, this year, 
way bigger expectations. And and Jaden Grant alluded to it in his, you know, talking about just how spoiled, you know, the young, the young pups are because, you know, when he showed up and I know we'll talk about this a little later, but he talks about now it's just kind of like this gear and, Oh yeah, we're going bowling. These young kids. He spent a lot of years where bowling wasn't even in the conversation. Yeah. Guys like Damian Martinez and Jack Belling, who obviously we're going to highlight uh, throughout this episode for just another monster game for both of them came into this season, you know, on the heels of Oregon state going to a bowl game, they probably come in expecting six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 wins. Uh, and that's something that when Jaden Grant came in in 2016 would have been, I mean, just unthinkable. You know, you think of how many wins these true freshmen have under their belts already this year compared to how long it took Jaden Grant to pile up that many. Yeah. I mean, Grant was probably here for three years before he won six games. I didn't do the math, but I mean, you know, crunching yeah. the numbers in my head, that sounds about right. Um, so just, I, I mean, you know, you have to feel good for him to that, that he is seeing the fruits of his labor right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a lot of those guys, I mean, I even think the guys that haven't been there quite as long, the Tristan Jebbia, Tyjon mm-hmm. Lindsay, um, some of those guys that have been with the program for more than, you know, for four, four years or so um, have been through a lot have been through, I mean, Tristan Jebbia watching, it was, it was fun to see him be able to get out and take a few snaps. He doesn't look hundred percent. He looked like he was a little limpy out there, but um, to see him get a couple snaps was good to see. But yeah, Jaden Grant has seen a lot. Uh, that's, I mean, <laughs> that, that might be saying, <laughs> that might be saying the very least, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no credit to, to all of those veterans for, for elevating the program to a point where here we are sitting at, six and two and and we're not even really focused on the bowl game you know this is this 13 minutes we've spent talking about it is the most angie and i have talked about a bowl game all year uh, and it's it's obligatory because they are at six and two and here we are we're gonna move on and spend the majority of this episode talking about the game and, and not even focusing on what is going to unfold over the next handful of weeks but i will say if you stick with Beaver Blitz throughout the week, we are going to dive into some of the projections and some of the scenarios that could play out. Uh, some of our, our bi-week content will dive into what might occur in the postseason for Oregon State. Uh, but let's talk about this game that just unfolded. The kickoff was almost exactly 24 hours ago from the point that we're uh, the point that we're talking right now. Oregon State wins 42 to nine against Colorado covers a a 23.5 point spread, which, you know, going into the game, we said it feels like the right number. It could be higher. It could be lower. Like it it feels like Vegas was, was spot on there. And and sure enough, Oregon state took care of business uh, and, and covered that thing and won by 33. Um, Angie, I'll, I'll let you dive into the yardage here. So Oregon state, uh, you know, pretty much close to, to doubled up Colorado and it took a while for the buffs to even, get to the 290 that they that they posted um but did you feel like the yardage numbers 472 to 290 was pretty telling of just how dominant Oregon State was on both sides of the ball oh a thousand percent you know and I know um Thursday we talked about kind of keys and we wanted I wanted to see Oregon State over over the 200 yard mark for rushing 270 I I think that was huge um I, I I I'm stealing off Carter's notes because he types up this nice little rundown for us. We got four pages today. That's that I know. Might be it's, a it's new a, there's a lot, but so each of the last three opponents that Oregon State has faced has been held to under 100 yards rushing. That is huge, and I know we're going to dive into more of the defensive performance, but that was a masterpiece. Um, we do the defensive points; they graded out to an A minus, which we're 
tough graders. It, it's a full on, I mean, we have a whole spreadsheet that takes into account the numbers. Um, for them, to, anything over like a B is a really, really solid game. A minus. I haven't seen that in years, years and years, probably decades. Um, but I think, you know, Beavers were average or in those same three games that they were held opponents to under 100 yards. They were averaging 221, almost 222 yards a game. Huge. But that 270 number was huge. I, you know, and, and Damian Martinez was um, spot on. I thought Jam Griffin had a good game. It was fun to see Isaiah Newell get in, get some carries, Kanoa Shannon. Um, they pretty much cleared the bench by the end. Yeah, Oregon State has held its last three opponents to a combined 197 yards on the ground, and the Beavers on Saturday alone eclipsed that mark by 73 offensively. So that just, I, I think it's a, a testament not only to, to Damian Martinez, but also just to the play of both line groups at Oregon yeah. state. It feels like the Beavers are winning at the point of attack on both sides. And that's, uh, and, that and should to, be noted Carter, because I mean, we've been so critical of the defensive line play over the past four yeah. or five years. It, it's yeah. really improved. And I, I don't know what's more impressive, what the defense has done the last couple of weeks, because like you just said, you, you might not have seen a, an a minus grade on the defensive points in man, close to a decade. Well, I mean, we've we've come out of each of the last two games and, and now the third game saying, was that the best defensive yeah. performance we've seen since 2012? That's three weeks in a row we're having the same conversation. It just gets better and better. Obviously, the, the competition has, you know, maybe decreased a bit at this point in the season. But, I mean, Oregon State's defense is playing with so much confidence, executing at a level that we haven't seen in, in years. Um, but we do, we do have to highlight Damian Martinez because... Yes. For as well as the the run defense played, the run offense was even better. Damian Martinez, the true freshman running back from Louisville, Texas, 22 carries, 178 yards rushing. That's 8.1 per carry. Just incredible. And three touchdowns for what I think was probably the best single game rushing performance we've seen since maybe Jermar Jefferson's true freshman year. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Jam Griffin, Isaiah Newell, Kanoa Shannon. Uh, also got into the rotation there as the game progressed and and they actually all averaged at least six point or uh, six yards per carry as well so I think we were always going to see Oregon State's rushing offense you know kind of excel in this game it, it felt like as you're going up against the worst run defense in the country that the opportunities were going to be there and and we saw that because the floor was set at six yards per carry uh, but for Damian Martinez to capitalize and and to post darn near 200 yards and, and three touchdowns that's the kind of execution you want to see. Absolutely. And, you know, I, it was, it go, I go back to Thursday when we spoke with Adam Munson-Tiger from um, Buff Stampede and, you know, talking about his keys to the game. I'm, I'm going to jump into the passing game for a minute because he really talked up JT Shroud. And honestly, Shroud, he is a good quarterback. He has a good arm. He yeah. made some good passes. He had some huge drops. But again, you know, I... We're talking about passing game, but I, I do have to give props to that defensive backfield because they looked spectacular. Right. Uh, JT Shrout, I mean, that's, that's a guy who committed to an SEC team out of high school, transferred into Colorado to get a little more playing time. He's a good quarterback. Uh, he actually did outgain Ben Branson in this game by four yards, 206 passing yards to, to Branson's 202. Uh, but the it was it was much more inefficient. I, yeah. I, I actually would argue that Ben Branson had maybe his best game as a beaver and, and certainly gonna, the most yeah. efficient. Yeah. 64% um, for Nicole Branson, um, mm-hmm. two touchdowns, no interceptions. I, I thought, you know, I mean, for the game plan being run the ball, I thought the passes were um, that he did make were good. I, I thought, 
Tyshawn Lindsay had a great game. And then um, Jack Velling. Hello. Welcome yeah. to the Pac-12. Yeah. Uh, so going back to JT Shrout, it's, it took him substantially more passing attempts to get to the 206 uh, at, at 45%, didn't throw a touchdown, had the two picks. So Ben Goldbranson did outplay him at the quarterback position. But then the receivers, you mentioned Jack Velling had 60 yards. Tyjon Lindsay led the team with four catches. Uh, eight different receivers caught a pass. So Goldbranson was you know, sharing the rock and, and the receivers were getting open pretty much at will. Um, but then to your point about the defense, you know, Oregon State defends five passes. It's it's one of the best pass defense teams in the country as far as getting into passing lanes, intercepting them, and, and knocking them down. They add five more to their ledger, uh, which will probably keep them in the top seven-ish in the country. Uh, and then they haul in two interceptions as well. Jaden Grant had one in the end zone. Alex Austin had a pick six, the first one at Oregon State since Grant had one in 2019 against Washington. The plays, I mean... <laughs> it's it's hard to single out like one player or or one play as like oh yeah this was the standout from the game because it was all over it was well, in every element of the game that Oregon State just yeah. dominated well then and like Jack Coletto forced a fumble yeah. at one point I kind of I was actually about to say oh he he didn't you know and he didn't wrap up quick enough but then he was actually going to punch the he punched the ball out and forced a fumble so um huge play from him again we saw Tons of the second teamers playing a lot of minutes, um, which was was good to see to get those guys some reps. But um, yeah, Jack Velling, you and I, I think, talked about this kind of off off the air. What do you I, I don't want to take anything away from Luke Musgrave, but where Jack Velling is in his improvement game to game this season, he's already um, at a higher playing at a higher level than Musgrave did as a freshman. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we didn't really say Luke Musgrave's name much as a true freshman. It took him uh, about, you know, two years before he really started to get involved offensively. Um, Jack Velling is now, what, eight games into his career, and he's looking like Oregon State's best receiver right now, at least in this middle section of the season. Um, I, I'll highlight in the game flow section of the of this podcast what he does after the catch, and I think that is what separates him from a lot of the tight ends you see in the Pac-12. Uh, another category, and, and there's two more that we have to highlight before we move on, is the turnover piece. So, yes. obviously, one of the you know one of the storylines of Oregon State season has been an inability to hold on to the ball. Well, first play from scrimmage, Oregon State fumbles it, coughs it right up, and, and gives it to Colorado. I don't think we were like too concerned about it at the time, just seeing what the defense was doing. But I mean, you you talk about Oregon State playing down to its competition. Well you literally cannot start any worse than giving the ball to the other team on your first play. Yeah, it was horrible. Um, but they did come back um, four turnovers. They were plus three on the night. Huge. And like you said, that pick six was such a, a, a huge momentum boost for the, for the team. We haven't, we don't see those often. So, um, but that first, that first handoff, we've talked about that. We've highlighted just that Goldbranson looks a little shaky on handoffs. And then what happens the very first play was a fumble. Yeah. But again, you know, Oregon State with the plus three in the turnover margin, it, it didn't come back to bite them. They had uh, they actually had six players involved on takeaways. So you had Jaden Grant and, and Alex Austin with an interception each. And then uh, Sione Lolahea on the defensive line forced a fumble. Rajon Wright picked it up. And then in the fourth quarter, Jack Coletto forced a fumble and Isaac Hodgins picked it up. So 
I mean, you've got six guys to pass the turnover chainsaw to, I guess. Like that thing was that thing was busy. They might need to refill the gas tank on that after this game because they were revving that up all night long. Um, the pick six, I, I think, was maybe not the play of the game, but but one of the more impressive plays of of the season for sure for Oregon State. Uh, one last stat category to highlight here is the tackles for loss and sacks. This actually was like the one category that I felt like is telling of, of maybe an even performance. So Oregon state recorded five tackles for loss, sacked JT Shrout once Colorado had the exact same line, five tackles for loss, one sack of Bengal Branson. And I think that is somewhat indicative of the fact that Colorado's defense is nowhere near as bad as some of its stats may suggest, because, you know, we, we you just talked about having Adam Munster tiger here on, on Thursday, mm-hmm. He talked about, you know, the the numbers that, that Colorado posted the first half of the season, allowing like 40 points per game. Very shocking because Colorado probably talent-wise has one of the best defensive lines in the Pac-12. They have some great players in that front seven. Josh Chandler-Semato had, I think, 11 tackles in this game. And, and so we saw some of that talent make plays. I, I just don't think it's a complete enough team for them to, to do anything with it, which is unfortunate for them. Um, but they do have talent there. And yeah. and so I think, you know, you see some of these numbers, the, the five tackles for loss, some of the pocket pressure. And I don't think there's too much to be concerned about there. No, I mean, this is still a power five team. Um, yes, they've struggled, but that front five or front seven was actually pretty, pretty solid. So um, it, what did crack me up, though, was at one point Adam had tweeted about Rajon Wright and I had forgot. So he I knew Alton Julian was actually heavily leaning toward. Colorado at one point mm-hmm. in the recruiting process, but Rajon Wright was as well. And both are Beavers. I'm, I'm sure they're a little happy they they went the route they did. Brian Lindgren obviously also coached at, at Colorado, Oregon State's offensive coordinator. So a lot of ties to that program, yes. and I think a lot of a lot of guys were probably. I mean, it we we can say that it, it maybe it means a little more to them. I, I like I doubt it, but um, there are ties there for for sure. Uh, we're gonna hit the the break real quick, and then we'll come back and and take you through some of the big plays of this game. Go through chronologically, highlight some individual players, talk about the good, the bad, some injuries, and then we'll revisit the keys of the game. Uh, but first, we have to remind you that even though we are heading into a bye week at Beaver Blitz, we're still a place to go to for your Oregon State news. We're gonna highlight some postseason scenarios. We'll do. We'll hand out some. Uh, excuse me. We'll hand out some. Uh, mid-season report card grades. I, I think Raju Woodward has some stuff in the works as well. Angie will be busy and uh, and we'll have some recruiting stuff, I'm sure, from the national guys as well. So even though the, the team might be off this week, we are not going anywhere. In fact, I think we might record another episode of the podcast at some point before the week is over. Uh, and then we'll hear back up for another game week next week. But make sure to stick with us because even though the team's not playing a game this week, we are still going to be posting stuff, and I'm sure conversation in the lodge will be uh, rolling as well. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. 
brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. All right, so we mentioned the slow start to this game. It was a little sloppy. Colorado went three and out. Oregon State fumbled. Um, Colorado fumbled three plays later, you know, with that with that uh, fumble that Rajon Wright picked up, that that Lolo Hea forced. So this game was really played around midfield for the first, what, four minutes or so of this yeah. game. Um, before somebody finally broke free. But I, I guess, Angie, I, I know you mentioned before we uh, re-recorded that that you, were, you weren't in front of the TV for all of that first four minutes and then, you know, you settled in. But how much of that did you see? And, and I guess, were you concerned at that point that, you know, Oregon State might be giving Colorado a little bit of hope early on? Yeah, I, you know what, this game never felt out of, like, Oregon State was going to have any trouble with it. Yes, that handoff, that first fumble on Oregon State's first possession was was not good. Um, but, you know, Oregon State had forced a, th- a three and out to start the game. So defensively, you knew you could, you know, count on them. So, yeah, I just missed a, a little bit. I've been a little under the weather. So um, I had ran upstairs for something, and I came back down and missed the fumble. Seriously, I missed, like, that one little play. Um, but, no, I, I, I just never felt out of reach. I mean, it never felt like Oregon State was even going to um, – play with them. I mean, it just seemed like, and, and obviously, yeah, I mean, the very next Oregon State fumbles, but then Colorado turns around, fumbles it right back. Seems super sloppy, um, but things settled in. Um, I, I think I think when it really started to feel like it settled in for me was toward the end of the first quarter when Silas Bolden had that 16-yard run where he like supermaned into the, the end zone. Yeah, before that, it was Damian Martinez crossing yeah. the the goal line. I feel like that was kind of the, all right, we can take a deep breath now, like things are, you know, calming down. Oregon State actually did put together a nice, I, I wouldn't call it a long drive, but, you know, they strung some plays together and then scored on a four-yard touchdown from Martinez, which would turn into somewhat of a theme throughout the night as, you know, he First found Pater three touchdowns or uh, found, found Pater three times for, for three touchdowns. Colorado strung together a few plays and then punted. And then Silas Bolden, like you said, had that 16 yard touchdown with a, a play at, at the end where, you know, it, if you haven't seen this play and I, I'm sure everyone listening has, um, you got to go watch it. Cause it was, it was almost like a Superman dive, but in real time, I felt like it was more of a belly flop. And like, I yeah, wanted to say yeah. it was a belly flop, but I felt that was, that was taking away from, the grace with which he flew through the air because you know the landing yeah, but it was still a belly he, the landing flop. he was a little parallel <laughs> he was a little parallel to the ground but there was a little bit of a, a trajectory but there. you know what i w- so carter i don't i don't watch a lot of nfl but eric's playing fantasy now so we've been mm-hmm. watching more of it i don't know if you saw the thursday night where, game yeah i know where you're going with this. that meme okay <laughs> yeah. that i wish silas would have done a little flip because that where andy dalton's like kind of just disgusted throws an interception doesn't even like run to cover 
and you just see he like turns and kind of like dismisses and in the background you see the guy just flying, the guy flying through the air <laughs> and his whole teammate i mean i was like oh man silas needed to do a flip on that one somebody yeah. did reply to my tweet with a, a video of that and you know said what silas bolden was doing is somewhat somewhat similar he should for sure. have done a flip silas come on now I will say, when that play occurred, I was like, "Oh, great! You know, that's that's a sportsmanlike conduct textbook. This is the college game. You can't do anything to celebrate." And you know, sure enough, one second later, a flag flies. I was like, "Yep, they got him." Unsportsmanlike conduct on, or a, you know, a late hit or something on Colorado. And I was yeah, like, "Wait, yeah. really?" <laughs> like I thought they were going to get bold for that. A little chippy there. I, I didn't expect it to yeah. get as chippy as it did. Yeah, Oregon State, I, I believe, actually did get an unsportsmanlike after the pick six on on Alex Austin, I yeah. think. Um, and if it was against him, it was, it was for nothing against... but for yeah, but crossing I, his they, arms. They like actually that. called it, I believe, on Jaden Grant. So I don't know what okay. happened. I, anyway, yeah. Yeah. Let the kids uh, have some get, fun. Yeah. No, seriously. Like, it's... It's not really a Pac-12 ref thing. I think that's more of an NCAA rule, but... I mean, we've seen the NFL game become so much more fun with, yeah, with yeah. all the celebrations. It's like, as long as it's not like actively taunting, you got to let guys celebrate a little. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, Oregon State has a 14 nothing lead after the first quarter. You're feeling pretty good. Colorado puts together one of its stronger drives of the game, I guess. Uh, you know, they didn't really do much with the ball, but, but did put together a few plays and, and string some things together. They get their first points of the game on the first drive of the second quarter on a 44-yard field goal from Cole Becker. So, you know, 14-3, to three, I don't think anybody was really sweating it. Um, but, you know, it, it takes the stress of, you know, you're playing with the zero on the board off, off the table. You know, you weren't worrying about shutout at that point. Yeah, and that's just hard to do. I know we talked about it um, maybe a little bit the pat on Thursday, but it's just hard to do, especially if, if you are in a, a big position of have a lead start playing some of the backups, they're going to score at some point. So, nope, took that pressure right off. Um, Oregon State then took the ball, went five and out. Were you surprised the Beavs had a punt? Um, so we we should have, this actually should have been like a, you know, like a show prop bet that we, you know, we should have done on Thursday was how many punts Oregon State would have. Um, he didn't come in on this one, but I do want to mention that Josh Green, Josh Green. actually made his first well, I, I guess he punted it in junior college, but his first Division One punt in this game. We're we're not afraid to highlight punters at, at Beaver Blitz and and on the damn podcast. So a shout out to Josh Green for for getting some action. He actually made his debut earlier on in the season, um, but he and Luke Losher both punted one time in in this game. Um, so after a couple of punts, Damian Martinez runs for his second touchdown of the first half. This one, a three-yarder. None of his touchdowns were like, he didn't have, you know, those breakaway plays. Yeah. Um, he did have a couple of breakaway runs later on in the game, later. but the touchdowns yeah. were more just like, all right, like we're going to reward you for all this hard work you put in on the drive, um, which I think is good to see because, you know, in some situations, those are Jack Coletto plays. Yeah. Jack still got a decent amount of playing time and, and he'll end up as one of the top performers of the game in our top performers countdown at Beaver Blitz. But <coughs> to see Damian Martinez allowed to cap off some of those drives with the shorter touchdowns, you know, you want to reward your running backs because they didn't come here to to play second fiddle to a linebacker, you know? Yeah. And, and I think as the defense started to wear down, as Oregon State was having success running the ball, you noticed Martinez and Jam, Jam's runs got longer and longer. So, um, 
he really didn't, I don't think, have any of those long runs until later on in the game. At 21 to 3, it felt like it was, you know, like, I don't think anybody thought Colorado was going to be able to come back and score 18. Um, So it it felt like that was the game right there. To the Buffalo's credit, they did march down the field right after, and and it looked like they were going to respond, but, I mean, just inexplicably dropped a pass on, a wide open pass on on what would have been a fourth down conversion, and and they turned it over on downs. Uh, and that was that was pretty much the first half. Oregon State took a twenty-one to three lead in, into the locker room, I, like I pretty much exactly how we expected it, right? I mean, I picked thirty-four to to ten as the final. I was like, man, this this thing's kind of pacing in my direction. I was I was you know kind of quietly rooting for my own prediction. Um, but then Angie, talk about the the start to the third quarter because this is where the game went from like. Oh, Oregon State's going to win this. Yeah. To oh, Oregon State's going to win. And it, this. it did it. it when the, when this play happened, it it had then. It, I mean, it was like back to back. It was a a span of I think it was eleven seconds. 11 Oregon seconds. State scored two touchdowns. The first being Oregon State comes out from half, takes the ball. They get the ball to start the half. Jack Velling. It was a sixty-yard TD. But what was so incredible about it was he had forty-one yards after the catch, and it was a first and twenty to start with. It was a a deep throw and he was able to shed a tackle and run beat everybody to the to the house so huge play like you said something you don't you typically don't see tight ends being able to shed tackles and continue to run after catch um most of the time they they get tackled but it was spectacular 19 yards on the throw from Bengal Branson and then the play goes down as a 60 yarder cuz Jack Belling like you said takes it 41 after the catch the speed that Belling has shown and and actually you know he didn't necessarily display it on this play but um one of the catches he made against Washington State he had you know some of that lateral quickness yeah. and the ability to to weave through defenders what he has displayed after the catch through you know over these last couple of games is exactly why I think he is like not even not even a good or great tight end, but a potentially elite tight end in the making. Is that he really just looks like a six foot five wide receiver? Yeah. It, it, you know? And then and then you leave Jake Overman and who's he had two pass pass completions of his own for receptions, but he's such a good blocker. Different body different body type. He's he's not as tall, not as fast, but I, I love that makeup of those two. Um, and Overman actually had two catches in this yeah, game. So yeah, yeah, two catches. You know, the two tight ends combined for three. And we, we're talking about Velling because he obviously had the big play, but Jake Overman was one of the leading receivers. Yeah. On, so on I, I just I like the makeup of those two guys. They're young. Um, they give Oregon State a real kind of one-two punch. Kind of, you know, back with the the Tegan was the, more of the blocking, but developed into more of a, a receiving. But then Oregon State kept, has the touchdown, makes it what twenty-eight. It's 28 to three at that point. Yep. And then Colorado comes on the field and boom, Shroud throws a pick six. Alex Austin run, takes it back 40 yards for the touchdown. The very next play from scrimmage. So it it literally was, I mean, you know, you you take out the extra point. It was two plays and two touchdowns for, for the Beavers, which, you know, I mean, Colorado's Colorado hasn't even really taken the field at this point and, and they've already given up 14 points in the second half. That felt like, you know, oh, the, that was the, the dagger, dagger right, there. right there. Yeah. Yeah. Like that was... you knew that Colorado wasn't even really going to make this a game from, from that point forward. No. And sure enough, you know, their next drive, they go negative two yards, you go three and out. Um, yeah. 
really, I mean, the third quarter, you know, the middle of the third quarter, there was nothing really notable until Colorado did actually score a touchdown. Uh, if you look at the nine points on, on the scoreboard, you might not, you might think it was three field goals, but no, jail stacks, um, had a, had a one yard touchdown for the Buffaloes. They actually went, they went 80 yards on that drive. So again, like I he said earlier, impressive. they, they did string a few plays yeah. together throughout this game, but, um, just, you know, the points weren't there. Uh, they went for two and, and didn't get it, but let's talk about jail stacks because, yeah. and I actually you know what, let's, let's save this for later. Cause I actually okay. do have it. I do have it in the rundown later. Um, but jail stacks had a, a relatively good game for somebody who wasn't yeah. getting the volume that you might get in, in a closer game. Um, so what we're at, that's fourth 35, quarter. that's 35 yeah. to nine right there. Go to the fourth quarter. And I mean, at this point, I'll say this Reeser stadium, the atmosphere at Reeser, I, I will never discount it whatsoever. And, you know, home field advantage is, is very real at Reeser, but I walked into the stadium and it didn't have that big game atmosphere that I had felt the last few weeks, you know, USC, Washington yeah. state, those felt like, Oh wow. Like this place is going to get real loud. Yeah. Reeser was like, I mean, maybe at like 30% capacity by the time we went to the fourth quarter of this yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, it, it was, was it was cold. It had it had rained a little bit, and you know, Oregon State's up by 30 points. So you know, why watch the fourth? But um for those who stayed, they they did get to see one more touchdown as as Damian Martinez found the end zone for the third time and on that touchdown got up to 178 yards on 22 carries we can't talk enough about just, just how good this guy is. And, and Angie, did you catch Jonathan, Jonathan Smith's quote in the post game about him? Oh, I, yeah, I listened to it. I just didn't write it down. Two words. He's special. I think I, I think I said the same thing. Yeah. I think, I think I said he's going to be special, but that was in fall camp. We've uh, he's, he's making us look real smart. He right. is. He is. I should go take him out for ice cream. <laughs> Get him an NIL deal. Get him an NIL deal. Uh, before that, Colorado fumbled for for their fourth turnover, and and Oregon State capitalized with that touchdown. Yeah. Um, but how about the cherry on top in this game? Jaden Grant. You know, if yeah. they leave the starters, Oregon State leaves most of its defensive starters in for that final defensive possession. Um, they made a couple of substitutions. Easton Mascarenas Arnold was in there. I think Jack Coletto got some run on that yeah, drive. Jack. Yeah. Um, and Skylar Thomas actually checked in at safety. Normally we think of him as a, a corner, but Jaden Grant stays in and intercepts JT Shrout in the end zone. So, you know, there it's, I think it's impressive that Oregon state has a big lead in this game, but doesn't let up. Yeah. And I, and that actually, that one interception in our giant killers defensive points is what put Jaden Grant. Oh, he beat Alex Austin by a half a point to take the giant killer title. So um, that one little just staying in, but they did sub quite a few guys in Cody Anderson yep. was in. Um, yeah. I saw a lot of, a lot of guys that typically don't see as many minutes, but that was huge. You know, Jaden Grant kind of stealing the, like you said, it, it just showed they weren't playing down to competition. They weren't giving up. They weren't sleepwalking through it. It was whistle to whistle. We'll close the game flow section of this episode with, with this note that Tristan Jebbia came in, for the final drive, Oregon State gets a first down, and then they go into victory formation. Um, Angie, be honest with me. Did you watch that last drive? And, and did, did you? Did you? Okay, so just, just I, I guess, generally curious what your thoughts are on Tristan Jebbia getting in because fans had obviously been kind of clamoring to see him 
because the play of the other quarterbacks hasn't been great. But I think I, I just think it's notable to say that Tristan Jebby is on the football field after the injury he suffered and how long his recovery has been. I mean, you just like you have to feel good for him, right? Yeah, that, a, I mean, a guy I think who that hasn't was, been out there for two years. Yeah, and I know the fans; they don't know the whole story of you know. I mean, that was a major injury, surgery, rehab, and now you're dealing with. And I don't know exactly, but you know, I imagine that there's some tightness. He did look like it was a little his hamstrings a little tight. He looked maybe a little limpy. I mean, he he obviously is not the same mobile guy that he was pre-injury. It was a, it's a major thing. It, it takes me back to James Rogers. James yeah. is, was probably a, a maybe a little bit maybe more severe. I don't know if that's the right thing to say, but you know, James had kind of tore everything in his knee, and to see him come back, he maybe wasn't didn't have the quickness that he had once, but. Um, it's just a feel good to see him back on the field because he has, I mean, here's a guy who could have hung up his cleats and grabbed the clipboard a year or two ago. And he still stays on the team. He's still out practicing and as a captain, as a captain. Exactly. So um, he's helping the younger guys. He's consistently there. Like I said, when he could have been probably Jonathan Smith would have taken him in a heartbeat as a grad assistant to come help coach. He's still a captain and he's still leading this team, even if he doesn't maybe have a hundred percent of his, you know, skills back. Look, I mean, there's a reason that he's the third string quarterback on this team. Like he's, he's just not the same player and, and the same quarterback that he was before the injury, which is so unfortunate because I mean, you know, I, I know that Oregon state fans are, are still very, you know, some of them still haven't moved on from, from the play. And, you know, I, I think there has been some dialogue between, um, uh, between Verone McKinley the third and and Tristan Jebby about that not being a, a maliciously intended play and you know it was not intentional and whatnot you can be the judge of that but you know from everything that I've I've seen between the two on social media it seems like they're um, they're on good terms but it was a career altering play yeah yeah like you know this this guy was a power five starter and now he finds himself as the victory formation guy when QB one goes down. So like, you know, it's, it was career altering. And um, I, 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 again, you just, you have to be happy to see him out there. Cause well, and okay. He, he so did, Cause he has stayed the course and he has, and he has committed to um, remaining and, and being a big part of this team. And, and I just, yeah, I want to, I, I feel good for him to be able to be, be able to celebrate with this team as part of the team. Um, but dude, Carter, you probably already on the field when this happens. So on Martinez's, third touchdown he takes it in and like one of their guys is trying to tackle him and grabs his leg i the, re the referee was right there didn't flag it it, it kind of pissed me off kind of fired me up a little bit not gonna lie those always scare me a little bit i know you know obviously you know there is something to be said for tackling you know legs like you know you are you are taught when you're already you know, to, to hold on to a leg to bring a yeah. guy down at, at some points but it always just you always worry about a knee going the wrong way or an ankle bending yeah. just a little too much. Yeah, Eric F said he saw it too. Yeah. I, I kind of yelled at the TV a little bit. But Damien uh, Damien made it out okay. Okay, So his uh, his stat line will, will <coughs> everything yes. you need to know there. Um, all right, let's talk about what went well that we haven't already discussed and then what maybe stood out as something Oregon State's going to look at over the bye week and say, hey, I think we should probably clean that up before we go and play a good team at Husky Stadium. But, um, you know, we, I guess we kind of talked about this already, but Oregon State just took care of business. I mean, there was there was never a doubt about it. Um, we talked about when the line opened at 23 and a half. I was a little skeptical. I said, I don't know if Oregon State can score 24 points right now. The offense looks so uninspiring. 
And of course it was against a Colorado defense that was trending upward since making the leadership change. We didn't necessarily think Oregon state had it in them to, to, to win this by more than a, a couple of touchdowns. Sure enough, they did. I think they relied a little bit on their defense to do it, but kind of hard to ask for more than 42 points from the offense. Right. Yeah. No, I thought it was, um, yeah, it was, I, I can't think of anything when I was going through he or she said tonight or this afternoon, I really couldn't think of anything to, to nitpick on. Right. Yeah. Nine points from the Beaver defense is actually the best defensive performance against a PAC 12 team since they held Utah to seven points in 2012. So this was, you know, we, again, like I said, we have talked about after each of the last three games, wait, is that the best defensive game we've seen from Oregon state in a decade? Well, this one literally was at yeah. least as far as the score goes. So we can finally say, yep, this is the new standard. Um, the freshmen continue just to shine on offense. And we talked about Martinez and Belling, but Ben Goldbranson, believe it or not, he's been here for like 20 years, but he is still a freshman. Um, <laughs> did this, it felt like his best game. Yeah. Right. I, did. Maybe I already asked you this, but yeah. I just think the efficiency that he showed and, and the ability to hold on to the ball, which has been, you know, maybe his biggest flaw to this point throughout the season. It felt, it felt like a get right game for him. He, it, 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 a big confidence building game, I think for him. Um, he still throws a little high, um, but honestly, I mean, for it, the Colorado knew we were going to try to run the ball. Oregon State was going to run the ball. So um, I thought he did a really solid job. I, I liked the mixing of plays. Um, I've been pretty, I've been pretty, uh, I guess, vocal about play calling too the past few weeks. And I, and I actually thought the game, I mean, it's easy to call a good game, I guess, when you're winning and, and everything's working. But um, I liked the flow. I liked the plays. I liked the mix. I thought overall it was just a solid game. So speaking of coaching, I, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't compare this defense and its leadership to that of the 2021 Oregon State team when it played Colorado, because, I mean, this has been a storyline all week that we've mm -hmm. been kind of pushing is it felt like an opportunity for Trent Bray to show the progress Oregon State has made on his defensive side of the ball since he took the job immediately following the Colorado game last year. Yes. Tim Tibisar gave up 37 for, you know, his defense gave up yeah. 37 points to a Colorado offense that was uh, just about as bad as this yeah. one. Yeah. And this year, obviously, the, the nine points is the best mark against a conference team in a decade. It's a, a pretty striking dichotomy there yeah. between the two defenses. And and really, the, the personnel is about the same. So, yeah. um a thousand times better this defense is playing right now. Um, Here's one yeah. for you, Angie. Should – okay, so for those who aren't aware, the, the Broyles Award goes to the best assistant coach in college football. My question for you through eight games of this season and now 12 games into Trent Bray's uh, reign as defensive coordinator at Oregon State, do you feel like – maybe he should be a, a semifinalist, a finalist for the Bros Award in, in 2022 for just what he has done in turning Oregon State's defense around. Because, yeah. I, I mean, at least on the back end, this is one of the best defenses in the country. Yeah. Oh, okay. so, you know, it's funny because it's this award either goes to, like, someone that turns things around or more than likely it will go to somebody that's, you know, Georgia, one of the Georgia assistant coaches yeah. or one of the top teams in the country. But looking at numbers where Oregon State was – last year to where they are this year. I mean, I think we should start the campaign to get him on the ballot if he's not there because 
um, it's striking. I mean, Oregon State is a top 50 defense now, um, really across the board. They were one of the worst in the country the past several years. So um, under Tipisar, it is night and day difference. It, Trent Bray would, would probably appreciate that campaign getting up and rolling because I'm sure there's some sort of bonus clause in his contract prob- about no. receiving that award. Well, so this is something, though, that got me thinking is, like, he's made such a turnaround. He's going to start getting looks from mm-hmm. other bigger programs. Oregon State, um, Scott Barnes, Jonathan Smith need to figure out, back that Brinks truck. I mean, if there's – so I've said this before about Coach Mahalachek, that you keep him no matter what. And I am now putting Trent Bray in that same – I think if – if in, out of any coach on this on this staff, you keep those two guys and you'll be okay. Yeah, I think we feel like there's well before we said it was there were two guys that you had to keep and it was Jim Holchuk and, and Brian Lindgren. Now I think that Trent Bray is I guess if we're comparing way more valuable than like, right. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. you know, there's the old saying defense wins championships. Well, I mean, it's only somewhat true in, in twenty twenty two, but look at what Oregon State has done with a much better defense. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, look at, I mean, look at Georgia. It's incredibly valuable. Yeah. I mean, a thousand percent. Yeah. All right. Um, just a couple of things that Oregon State needs to clean up over the bye week. The 10 penalties for 77 penalties. yards. We kind of felt like maybe Oregon State had cleaned that up. You know, the penalty piece was a, a big factor in that Stanford game and, and one of the reasons that the Beavers needed a miracle play to win that. They bounced back last week with, I think, two against Washington State, maybe three, but I, I think it was two. Uh, and then they pile up again in, in this one. And, and Jonathan Smith said after the game, you know, some of that just comes with playing aggressively defense. And, you know, you're, you're going to get some of those that, that go against you. But there were a couple of procedural penalties. There were a couple of, you know, yeah, the unsportsmanlike. Like, it wasn't the cleanest game. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I know Oregon State won by 33, but it wasn't the cleanest 42-9 yeah, win I've ever seen. What I will say is Colorado was just as chippy. So at some level, Oregon State's going to – I do have to laugh – Carter, you were there, so you didn't see it up close, but there's a couple plays that I, I love Ray John, but Ray Ray likes to talk, and oh, he was in those receivers' ear a few times. It was- okay, so here's one for you because, you know, maybe I didn't see it on the replay, but there's no way that the TV showed this one. So after, I can't remember what play it was. Oh, actually, I do. It was the one where I believe it was Kyrie Fisher Morris that intercepted a pass that was called back for, um, for, for defensive holding. I, I think it was Kyrie who was on the, the intercepting end of that, but the the holding penalty was on this side of the field, closest okay. to the press box, and the interception was going the other way. And and Rajon was was over, you know, kind of closer to me down in front of the press box where the flag was thrown, and you know, all this action's occurring on the other side. Well, Rajon's over here and he picks up the flag and he kind of hides it, and he's like, <laughs> "What? I didn't do anything. Like, there's no flag on the field." <laughs> And then the the ref kindly asked for it back and and kind of gave him a little bit of a scolding. I think it was all in, you know, I think it was all Fun, you know, yeah. good natured and, and whatnot. But after that, I said, you know, Rajon Wright really does have one of the best personalities. Oh on yeah, this team. oh yeah. He it was it was actually so it was Colorado when that when the receiver missed that ball, it goes right to him from the fourth down conversion that he dropped, and Ray Ray was like right there, like and just just walk by and kind of you could just see him saying chirping a little mm-hmm. bit, and I was like, yeah. Classic Rajon Wright. It was awesome. It was actually, Um, he's the type of guy you are glad is on your team. Yeah. But I love the Spiker. Yeah. The one thing earlier on in the episode that I I said we should hold on to uh, towards the end is jail stacks for Colorado, their their tailback. They call them tailbacks at Colorado. He's huge. 
had a sneaky good game. He only yeah. touched the ball eight times because, you know, that's when game script that stuff. Yeah. You know, you're going to be passing the ball a lot. His eight carries, he averaged 6.3 yards per carry, which is like he would fit right in the Oregon State backfield in a game like this where the Beavers run for almost 300 with that number. If the game script allows him to touch the ball more than eight times, maybe we're talking about Jail Stacks having a bit of a bit of a breakout game. Yeah, no, he was impressive. Big, big kid. So, um, but didn't happen. Yeah. I mean, for, for all that we talk about Oregon State's run defense having yeah, yeah. just an absurd stretch of, of three games, I do think it's worth noting that yeah, he on was, a per carry basis, they yeah. couldn't necessarily slow this guy down. Yeah, yeah, he was he was impressive. Uh, speaking of running backs, I think Oregon State's Deshaun Fenwick is really the only injury note that we have from this game. Um, James Rawls on the defensive line did go down after a play, but uh, he's he's fine. Deshaun Fenwick suited up, was on the sideline, but did not play as uh, Isaiah Newell kind of stepped into the running back rotation in his absence towards the end of this thing. But it was mostly just a, a Damian Martinez. It's going to get most of the looks. James Griffin comes in as kind of the change of pace guy. Um, but Deshaun Fenwick was, he was actually available as the emergency back. Jonathan Smith said afterwards, uh, he just wasn't feeling a hundred percent before the game. And, you know, I don't know if that was injury or if he was sick, sick or, or something, yeah. but, um, it doesn't sound like this is like a, a major thing for, for Fenwick. Well, now, and now there's two weeks. I mean, they have, they have time. So, um, you know, hopefully they get some of these guys back. Still concerned about Chance Nolan did not see him on the sideline again. Um, did you see him on the field? Did not see him. Um, will admit wasn't like actively looking, you know, insanely hard for him. Um, but no, I, I, I do think you know if if we come out of the bye week here and and he's going on five weeks in concussion protocol, we're going to have some serious questions to ask. Yeah. Um, but no, it's it's not like entirely unheard of for a guy to be in yeah. concussion protocol for three weeks. So I'm yeah. still not like terribly concerned about it, but. Like we were saying on Thursday, I do think the injury was a little bit more serious than yeah, uh, yeah. than anyone was letting on to begin with. Okay, so we talk about our keys to the game because we kind of nailed it, Carter. We kind of nailed it. Yeah, I'm seeing uh, four different keys to the game: one offense, one defense for each of us, and uh, I've got a lot of yeses. Four yeses. So I guess. And you wrote down you. my keys, so yeah. we're so, not guessing. So we we actually can start with you this week. Um, take your victory lap on calling for Oregon State to run the ball. Run the ball. 44 carries, 270 yards, three touchdowns. Booyah. It's about as good as it gets, really. Yes, it is. And some of the numbers that maybe we expected from Oregon State's running game entering the year, um, took them a while to do it, but they are trending it'll just, I mean, so far upward right now. The the last three or four weeks, that, that run game has just really started to take off. And yeah. interestingly enough, that really coincides with Damian Martinez becoming more and more of a weapon in this offense. So not to say Carter, we told you so, but your, your offensive uh, key to the game is actually pretty spot on too. Yeah. Score I said, Oregon State, not just once I said, Oregon state had to score early and often build an early lead. Don't give Colorado any confidence. Well, the defense forces a three and out and then takes the ball away from Colorado. So it, it did that part. Um, but offensively, you know, to score 14 points before Colorado's even on the board, to score 35 before the Buffs even find the end zone, it was never close. Uh, the offense pretty much put it out of reach, like I said earlier. I mean, midway through the second quarter, I felt like we were at a point where Colorado was never going to be able to keep up. So shout out to the offense for bouncing back from just a terrible first play and, and scoring a bunch of points early. Defensively. Defensively. 
I, I said that they needed to pad the interception numbers um, and pressure the QB. And so I had two and they were both yeses. Um, gosh, I totally forgot too that Kyrie Fisher. So, I mean, Oregon State actually kind of had, well, you can't count it, but they had a third interception in there. They got called back because of a penalty on a different side. So two interceptions, one sack, six QB hurries. Pretty well-rounded there. Yeah, very well-rounded group. So I'm going to throw this message from the chat up on the screen if you're watching us live on YouTube. Angie obviously has coined the term Sack City uh, to describe the Oregon State defense. Roger suggests Sack Vallis. How do we feel about that's it? That's not bad. That's not bad. But I still would love to see Corvallis and Oregon State embrace the Corvegas oh, yeah. moniker, just like Stark or uh, is it Stark Vegas? Yeah, Stark Vegas down at Mississippi yeah. State. Yeah, just oh, embrace it. Sac Vallis. But yeah, we didn't quite see Sac City, but um, no, but we saw quarterback hurry. City. We did, we did, and that <laughs> that's close. Um, I still like, like I said, Corvegas. I know it's yeah. old, but it's it's so good. Uh, Angie called for Oregon State to pad the the interception numbers. I just said Oregon State needed to take the ball away. I'd say four takeaways is getting the it's job pretty, done there. It's pretty right? good. Two fumbles and two interceptions too. So they were doing it in a variety of ways. Yes, well rounded. Impressive too. There, Jack Coletto. Shout out to him for that forced fumble where he kind of punched the ball yeah. out. That's textbook stuff right there. Like I said, I was actually kind of watching it, thinking, "Oh my gosh, he needs to." But he needs to get that guy down. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, wait, no, he was trying to punch the ball out. <laughs> yeah. That's true from Tannis in the chat. The track team has coined the phrase throw Vallis for, you know, I, I think the, the shot put and javelin. You actually, if you drive by the track facility, it does say throw Vallis on the fence line. Sack Vallis might have, might, Vallis. You, we might be onto something here. I go Sack Vallis. But. Maybe that's another bye week. That's another bye week discussion. The Corvegas Bowl, yes, in yeah. Vegas, yes. Corvegas Oregon in State Vegas. to the Las Vegas Bowl would be a lot of fun. That I'm sure be. we would see a lot of Beaver Blitz members there. Yes, we but, might have to have a, do a Beaver Blitz tailgate there. Yeah, we can ponder okay. all of this and yes. more if we do a, a a bye week episode of the Damn Podcast, which I think we will. We're we're gonna we're gonna have enough stuff in the tank after going through. Ooh, the first Score Valis. How about Score Valis? Score Valis is good too. Um, we'll have enough stuff in the, in the tank and in the back of our minds after we publish some of our bi-week content that maybe we'll come back on, on Thursday or over the weekend or, or something and, and talk a little bi-week stuff before we preview Washington. If we don't talk to you before then, it'll be about a week and a half. We'll be back on Thursday, November 3rd. I believe I'm crunching the numbers there, correct? Yes, no, November 3rd yes. uh, to preview Washington. And, and we'll probably have a 24-7 sports expert on with us to do because so. The beef is actually, you know what? Total off topic, Carter. And I know it's going to make us run over, but you'll like this. So Erica, my wedding anniversary is November 4th. We got married. The bees played at Cal the 2000 year. We actually piped the game in while we did pictures before the wedding. Beeves win on the road down at Berkeley. We go on our honeymoon while the beeves are gone at Arizona and come back two days before Civil War. Good omens, I would yes, say. Yes. Good omens. November 4th. It's a Friday night game in Washington. We'll be back to preview it. Until then, head to Beaver Blitz for all sorts of bi-week content and follow Angie Machado on Twitter at Angie Machado1. You can follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you at some point in the next week and a half for another episode of the Damn Podcast. Thank you.